All right, well, good morning. We've got some announcements that I want to go over, and uh, hey, Bob, good to see you, man. You doing okay now? Well, the bladder works. Well, that's... It just don't stop. Oh, well, that's not good. Better than the alternative, I Yeah, I suppose so. All right, well, just a few things. Um, Announcement-wise, um, and my phone is over there, but I was going to... Hey, Jeremy, could you... Look at Brian's email. Sure. I don't think there's everything I need to worry about in there, but there was a couple of things that I was just going to be reminded of, but I don't have it. Okay, so this is a reminder for a few things. Vacation Bible School is coming up. Uh, about a month out, a little over a month out, five, six weeks. If you're interested in working and helping be a part of that, they can still use some, um, what we used to call vacation VBS. We used to call them, uh, what do we call them? Crew leaders. Crew leaders, thank you, yeah. So basically taking a group of kids around uh, anywhere from four to eight kids at a time to uh, go to the different stations and then helping the station leaders while they're there. So if you're interested in that or any part of VBS, uh, see Chris or Lauren Cohen. And then I just wanted to mention that there's a men's breakfast. Uh, once a month the men get together and have breakfast. That's the 21st of May in... Uh, um, that's in the uh, in um, common ground room. Um, also, if you're interested, we're making Bibles that day, so if you want to come to the breakfast and then come for, come assemble Bibles. We could use your help out there. We're not. We got ten thousand Bibles that we're trying to get done. We're not going to get them all done in the next two weeks for sure. It'll probably take us four or five months because we're only working twice a week or twice a month out there. Uh, and the next time we clean, and I'm pretty sure this is the right day, we did it, we confirmed it last week, the 14th of May, uh, is our next cleaning weekend. And, uh, what did we say about that? We, we weren't talking. Two weeks. I, I got it right. <laughs> Alright, so anyway, um, well, huh? Well, we're gonna. Jill and I are gonna clean on the thirteenth. Why? Friday. Is that Friday? Because well, we always do Friday. Yes. Why? <laughs> anyway, uh, so that's the next time coming up. And I still haven't gotten any word on the church in the park. I don't know. I mean, we're bumped out, and I don't know. Um, I'm waiting to find out if we're gonna be able to do it. Uh, there's just a lot of things going on in the park that the city is trying to get it done but I think they said that they will have it done by the by May 31st which is the weekend just before church in the park weekend maybe maybe not I don't know and um, you got uh, Sharon on there just continue to pray for Sharon pray for Bob um, and uh, the, the uh, Bob uh, Bickett's uh, uh, daughter, I don't have her on the list here, but just wanted to mention her. And um, I want to mention also, uh, Mark Blackwood uh, texted me this morning. He probably texted other people as well. I don't know, but 
Uh, apparently he tore, not tore over, well, he scratched his cornea. So he's hurting pretty bad. He didn't say how he scratched it. I don't know what happened. Um, but uh, in addition to that, of course, he lost his mother last week, or just a little over a week ago. So he's got, he had a lot going on. So pray for the, the Lockwoods. And um, uh, and then I don't know if everybody got if everybody got got noticed or saw on Facebook that Glenn Williamson passed. I remember Glenn Williamson? He was used to be a member. The, the, their family was a member here. Um, and the, his health just kind of kept him from coming for the longest time. And anyway, he passed a couple of days ago. I don't know any details on the services uh, for him. So I'm sure we'll hear about it soon. And um, then the Invest Women Studies restarting this week. I know it was supposed to start last week. It didn't, but it should start this week, I think. Um, there's details in the bulletin. And then what else? Yeah. Uh, that was most of it. Uh, Jeff Truitt has surgery. Oh, good. I did see Jeff is here, and he's he's got a big blob and is like a floater kind of thing. I don't know if it's like a uh, uh, a blood clot or something that's still floating around in his eye that's disturbing his vision. But he's doing okay. He seems to be doing all right. Anything else? Uh, next week is Mother's Day, um, so we're celebrating that and have baptism. Okay, so that's good. Okay, I didn't make a note of uh, where we were praying, but uh, where we we're going to read. But I know that it should be Ecclesiastes chapter five. Let's go there. down from verse 1 to verse 8. Okay. The Bible says, Keep thy foot when thou goest into the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For the dream cometh, for a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. When thou vowest to vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it than, better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than that should vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou, before the angel that it was an error wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands for in the multitude of dreams in many, in many words there are also diverse vanities but fear thou God let's pray Father in heaven Lord thank you for today thank you for this passage as a reminder Lord of things that we should be praying for all the time Lord that we would always be uh, that we our mouth would always be under your control and uh, I do pray Father for that and um, and I just ask for your help there. We do pray, Father, for uh, for the ones those that we met. I didn't mention uh, Judy Steele, but Lord, I know that she's still hurting and she's still dealing with a lot of pain. And and uh, um, just ask, Father, that you would heal her from from her illness and, and get her 
restored back to um, health and that she could be engaged again in things that I know her heart is, is, is desiring for her to do. Pray for Mark Lockwood and uh, pray for his eye and his, and his uh, family's loss of her, his mother. Just ask you to bless them, Lord. And we just pray, Father, that you would just continue to guide us and direct us, Lord, and help us to be wise with the things that we speak that we might be able to proclaim the glory of God in everything that we do. Conclude in prayer, we just again, we just thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you, Father, that you uh, that you trust us with your word. And, uh, Lord, that, that we do assemble Bibles uh, next week, Lord, uh, and over the rest of this year, Lord, that you would use those scriptures to make an impact in lives of those that receive the word. We just thank you and praise you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're in Colossians chapter, we're still in chapter 1, uh, so let's turn over there and we'll, we're not going to get through the chapter 1 uh, at this point. There's still a, there's a lot in chapter 1 that Paul has written to the church about. And just as a reminder, the, the title of our study is the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Christ, and so what we're looking at is what Paul is, what Paul is doing is he's writing to this young church. A church that he'd never been to before. He didn't help start this church. He didn't do it. He'd never traveled to this to this uh, the city of Colossia. Um, at least not according to scripture, he has not. And, uh, and so he wants to write to church and say, "Let me let me identify for you who Christ is." And so I titled today's little segment, which we'll only get from verses 15 to 19 today. Uh, what I said, getting Christ's identity right. We got to get his identity right, and Paul wants the church to get it right. And so our study is the knowledge of Christ. The key verse is verse 18, which we will mention today as, as, towards the end of the, uh, the class. Uh, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. I love that word. It's a difficult word. It's not a word that we use very commonly, uh, but it's an, it's an interesting word. And we'll talk about that. Okay, so this letter divides up into two parts. You ever notice how Paul's letters always divide up? Starts off with doctrine, then then he finishes up with application. So this is four chapters, so it's very easy. Chapters one and two are about doctrine. Chapters three and four are about application of the doctrine. And uh, I won't take the time really to to mention, but I'll mention, but I won't read them. Colossians chapter one verse ten is the theme of the first two chapters, and Colossians three three ten is the theme of the second two chapters, chapters four, three and four. And the word know, is this how you know that it's about knowing, is because the word know, K-N-O-W, is mentioned, or some version of K-N-O-W, is mentioned 11 times in um, in this chap- in this letter, this really short letter. And so, okay, so as we're beginning to get into this, Paul writes this letter to a group of believers who have, he had, as I said, he had never met, but he wants to encourage them because of what he has learned from them from their pastor. And we, we talked last week that we're pretty sure, and there's there's reason to accept that Epaphras was their pastor. 
and he probably was one of the men that started the church. If he probably was one of the men also that was in Acts chapter two uh, at present when Peter preached in the upper room after the Holy Spirit came in, you know, uh, and everybody began to speak. And of course, that passage where people claim that you speak in tongues and that shows that you're saved and all that kind of stuff that had nothing to do with all of that. It was Peter was preaching. And everybody heard him in, in their language, it said. That's, so he was the only one speaking at the time. But you know, there's, I think, what did I say, 17, I think, different countries represented in that room at the time. And so one person speaking and every, all 17 people, or 17 representations heard him speak in their language. So what they heard was their language, not what he said was their language. He didn't preach in Russian or, or Romanian or whatever. He preached in Hebrew. They heard it in Russian and Romanian and uh, Colossians and so on. That's how they heard it. So anyway, uh, we concluded last week with Paul explaining in verses 13 and 14 that we have, that we, we have been delivered, we've been translated, and we've been redeemed. And look at that real quick in verses 13 and 14 of the chapter. Paul says, who had delivered us, talking about Christ, who had delivered us from the power of darkness and had translated us from the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And that's where we ended last week. And as we start this next passage in chapter 1, Paul begins to expose the church to who is responsible for all that has happened to us. Who's responsible for you being transferred or transformed? Who's responsible for you being uh, uh, delivered? Who's responsible for you being redeemed? It's Christ. And so in verse 15, that's where we're going to go here in just a second. Let me just read verse 15 through 19, through, uh, 19 real quick. So he says, okay, so verse 14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn among every creature, firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn among the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And we'll just stop right there. Let's, uh, let me just kind of break all this down. So in verses 15 to 19, what Paul begins to do, first he says, this is, this is what happened to you. You were just delivered, you were transformed, you were forgiven, uh, you were redeemed. And let me tell you now who did that. So what he's doing is he's speaking of the deity of Christ. He's speaking of the, about the deity, the deity, calling, saying that term, Christ, the deity of God. But that, the deity of Christ, what that means is that Christ is God. And so for these, these, this section of this chapter, Paul is identifying Christ. He's making a clear identification. Christ is God. That's who we're talking about. And so in verses 15 and 19, I would say this to begin here. Many people rep- misrepresent who Jesus is. They misrepresent who Jesus is. They claim there's a lot of churches out there. There's a lot of denominations out there that claim that he was less than God. They claim that he was not even, that he was one of many gods. Uh, some of them even claim that he was the brother of Lucifer. I don't know if you've ever heard that one or not. Um, they claim that he would, some, some, some people will teach and claim that he was, he was a high angel. That he was just an angel. That, uh, that he would they just say he was a good teacher and he was and he was a good prophet and he was uh, but 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 they they misconstrue his deity 
And so Paul said, no, okay, church, you're a young church, and you got people coming to you all the time with all this junk to church. Let me just lay it out for you straight. Jesus is God. And we can hang our whole life on that truth that Jesus is God. So so in verses 15, now I'm going to break this down a little bit at a time, especially verse 15. The first part of verse 15, notice that it says, who is. So I just call that who is who. Who is who. Uh, Verse 15 starts with the word who, and that points back to the son mentioned at the end of verse 13. So if 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 you were to trace a line from verse 15, who is, all the way back to the end of verse 13, his dear son. So we're talking about the son. That's what we're talking about. But it's what's really kind of interesting here. So verse verse 15 starts with the word who points back to the son of, of the son at the end of verse 13. But the end of the, verse 13 points to somebody else. So it says, verse 13, his, kingdom of his dear son. That, that actually points all the way back to verse 12. Verse 12 says, giving thanks unto the Father who has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. So the dear son points back to the Father in verse 12, and the Father is God. So so there's a who is who. Well, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is God. Back, he's the Son, but he's, he's God. And so Paul lays out these next few verses uh, to define and clarify and, and convince every one of us uh, that that is a true statement. One of the most important truths that come from this passage is that God is complete, God is perfect, His revelation is fully revealed in Christ. To, to reveal, we wouldn't know God. It's an interesting thing. We really wouldn't know God if it wasn't for Christ. We wouldn't really know Him. Let me give you three verses real quick. I think I have them mentioned. I'll have them all written out in your notes. But John chapter fourteen, verse seven. John chapter 14, verse 7 says, If ye had known me, this is Jesus speaking, if ye had known me, you should have known my Father. Now notice, he's basically clarifying the link between 15, 13, and 12. That's what he's doing. If ye had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him, who you know who? You know God. Why? And you should have seen him because of me. That's what that's what Jesus Christ is saying. Then, Two verses later in the same chapter, John 14, verse 9, he says to them, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou, then, show us the Father? So many people say, well, prove that he's God. That's, Jesus is kind of like taking Philip to task, because it's not, it's not that Philip said, prove to me that you're God. He didn't actually say it. He said, I want to see God. God says, and Jesus said, you know who I am. You know the Father. You know, that's kind of how things should be. People should know my family because of me. They should know my kids because of me. You should, you should know me because of my kids. It should be a similar pattern. Same thing in your family. We get to know each other. We get to know your family. We get to know that you, know, you kind of like your dad. You know, you're kind of like your mom type of thing. We look at it both ways. But in Hebrews chapter 3, chapter 1, verse 3, this is really kind of good. This is Paul writing and describing Christ. He says, who being the brightness of his glory. And then he says this phrase right here. And the express image of his person. The express image of his person. And upholding all things by the word of his power. 
when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. What Jesus is saying and what Paul is confirming here that Jesus Christ is the express image, not just an image, but the express image of God. And then in part B of verse 15, so if you read verse, go back to Colossians 1.15, it says, who is, and then he says this phrase, the image of the invisible God. So Jesus Christ is the image of God. Christ already confirmed that, but let's look at a few other things. So what we see here in this part of this verse we see the very nature of God and His exactness. That's what we go in your blank if you have a blank there. The word exactness. His exactness. What includes God's divine attributes. Basically, Jesus Christ is an exact mirror of God in His attributes. He is an exact image, an exact uh, duplicate. So there's, so you have a couple of blanks here. And I didn't list all of the attributes of God. I thought these three are pretty self-explanatory. But omnipotent, that means all power. Omnipotent, omnipotent. The potential for power is omnipotent. Uh, That means all power. And then the second one that's listed there is omnipresent. Omni means everywhere. That means all, everything, including everything. And then the word present means that he is every place at all times. God is, there is no place where there is not God. He is all present. And then the last one is omniscient. Uh, that would be omniscience, if you want to break it down really. Omniscience, omni-knowledge. It means om- he knows everything. God knows all things. There is nothing that God does not know, including our thoughts, our deep secrets. God knows us. He's in, he knows us well. Okay, so Jesus is the exactness of God's image and his attributes. We know his attributes. We know, so if we know the attributes of God, I mean, this is how we would define God is these, through these attributes, and then we can say Jesus Christ also is exactly the same. He has the exact same attributes. Jesus Himself is omnipotent. He, he can He can calm the winds. He can He can walk on water. He can heal the dead. He can He can uh, uh, heal the lame. He can heal the blind. He can do all of those because He has all power in all things. He also is omnipresent. He is every place at all at once. And so he's up on a mountain praying. He's on. He's walking on the ocean. He's in. The, he's in. The, in the ship sleeping. He's. He's everywhere. There's no place where where Christ is is not at, and he everywhere is all known. Everywhere and every when. What's that? Everywhere and every when. Everywhere and every when. So, as God's mediator, Jesus Christ shows forth the glory of the Father and displays God's glory in His perfections. Now. The phrase that he says, um, the image of the invisible God, it doesn't mean, let me, let me back up here a second. I'm in the right place, yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean that he was a created in the image of God, the way you and I were. Remember in, G- in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, when it said that God made man in his image? That's not the same image as Christ. Christ wasn't made. We were made. Christ is the exactness of Christ, of God. We're just in the image. You know, we have a body, soul, and spirit once we're saved. And that's how he made us. But he didn't make God. Or he didn't make Christ. So it doesn't mean he was created. Um, we, we were created in his image. But God, but Christ is his image. Is it? So there's a difference. The emphasis is different. It, Christ is his image as his exactness and his representation. And all of this is because of his exactness to God in all respects. 
that Christ alone can be called His image. See, we're not called, oh, you're the image of God. No, we would say that about Christ. Christ is the image of God. We're, we're, we were made in His image, in His likeness, but we are not His image. We, we don't have all those attributes. We're not omniscient. We're not omnipresent. We're not om, omnipotent. We don't have all of those things. Um, and we will never have them, by the way. I mean, we'll, we'll have a lot of things in, once we get to heaven that we don't have here, but we won't have those things. We won't have those. So it's through Him, through Christ, that the divine perfections are made known to everybody about God. And this image holds a... Now, let me just say this. This, this image, and I'm talking about not the image of you, although he, he does have a hatred for it, but Satan actually hates the image that Christ is. He hates that he has an image of God. That's what Satan wanted. Satan wanted to be worshipped like God. He wanted that image on him. He wanted to claim that image was his. But there's only one person that could have that image, and that's Jesus Christ himself. Satan hates that image. He hates that people should become like God, and he hates all that is a resemblance to the great and the glorious of who God is. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 1 real quick. And look at this. This is kind of interesting. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 1. We'll, just, we'll read 2 and 3, but I want to reference verse 1 to start with. Notice it says, God who is sundry time. So we're talking about God here. And then verse 2 says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he hath made the worlds, In verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory, and again, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So the point in this verse here, Hebrews 2 and 1, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, speak of the same description of the Son, verse 2, and as the, as, as the brightness of God, verse 1, and the express image of his person, verse 3. So we have all of that. The Greek word for so if you if you were to you know get out your strong concordance and look up uh, this verse, you, the, the, the the expression express image it gives us the word character. That's, it gives us a, the Greek word that gives us the word express image is the same word that is translated many times as the word character. But what it what it means in translation is. An engraving as an exact duplicate. An engraving. You know how you know you got a coin. Uh, Jesus Christ asked the asked the, uh, the disciples who or the Pharisees whose whose image on this coin. He said, "Well, that's that's uh, Pharaoh." And he said, "Well, render to Pharaoh what is Pharaoh's, and render to God what is God." Who? Caesar. That's all the same thing. <laughs> They're the enemies of God. Yeah, yeah, it was Caesar. Sorry, I apologize for that. You got the idea, though. Yeah. You knew where I was going, Julie. She always does. Okay, so then at the end of verse 3, or, I'm sorry, verse 15, back in Colossians verse 15, chapter 1, verse 15, he finishes chapter, that he finishes that verse, but well, it's not really even finished yet. So, see how deep it is. 15, he says, He's the invisible uh, God, <clears throat> the image of the invisible God. So let's talk about the fact that God is invisible. <clears throat> this is one of the reasons why people challenge, show me God, because God is invisible. 
Now, God is not a ghost. Clarify that. He is not a ghost. He is a spirit. According to John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus Christ said, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And there's several places in John and in 1 John where the apostle noted that no man has seen the Father. He said it in John chapter 1, verse 18. He said it in John 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 37. And he, and he said it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. That no man has seen the Father at any time. But how do we know what God looks like then? Because we look at Jesus. That's how we know. Now let me say this also. Christ is also not a ghost, nor is He a spirit. This is an interesting thing. So, so God is not a ghost. He's a spirit. Jesus Christ is not a ghost nor a spirit. Jesus Christ is, is, is uh, God in the flesh. He's, he's a fleshly person. Um, in John chapter 1, verse 14, remember that verse? John 1, 14, probably many of you could quote that. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In Philippians, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, But it made himself of no reputation, and took on him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And had been and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus Christ is flesh, he's, but he's also God. He's, when he was on the earth, he was flesh. He's no longer on the earth because he's not flesh now. But all, almost all false gods, you ever notice that almost all false gods take on the shape of a carving of a man or some something that man has carved? Because man cannot fathom what an invisible God looks like. So, so they fake it. They fake an image of a statue. That's what. Remember Israel at the Mount Sinai when when Moses was up top, uh, talking to God, and they're like, you know, they were all scared basically. And so what they do? They made an image. They made an image of a. A calf, a cow, and because they had to have something to look at to say that's God, they want to point at that's God. But Jesus is who we can point at, say that's God. And then the last part of verse fifteen, he uses this expression, which I spent a lot of time on this because it, it, it just I want to make sure that that I. Truth, I do this uh, justice. So, uh, I'll read the whole verse. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? And that word, they're like, well, what creature? What is he? Creature? Okay, let's let's talk about that. So, um, to be the firstborn does not mean that Christ was born first. Or that he was created first. He was neither born or created, which we'll see later on here in just a moment. But he is—he's called the firstborn. And I know that uh, we typically we presume that calling Jesus the firstborn, typically we're we're putting that in the context of him being the firstborn among many brethren, right? Like in Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-nine, it says, "For him for whom we did foreknow, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son." that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So we typically use that concept, the, the context, the, the phrase firstborn is implying he's the first one, did I say saved? You know, I mean, he's the first one resurrected. 
He's the first one in heaven after his death and, and so on. In Colossians, in verse 18, he says that very same type of thing. And he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have the preeminence. Okay, so, so okay, granted, Jesus Christ is, if you want to say it this way, he's my big brother. He's born first. Right? He was resurrected first. I will be resurrected later. So he's first. But that's not what Paul's talking about in verse 15. It's a deeper thing. He says he's the firstborn in verse 15 of every creature. So you got to hang out that hang on to that word creature. What does he mean creature? Is he calling humans creatures? No, that's not what he's talking about. It's creature. Let me so let me let me let me try to build on this for a little bit here. So there's a broader meaning than just referring to the brethren. In fact, I think I, I think I can see three reasons that he used the phrase creature. And so number one, the first first reason is that all firstborn, including all firstborn animals, were sacred to God. They were sacred. That would be a blank for you. And the next blank is every firstborn man or beast was consecrated to God as a sign of remembering the great deliverance out of Egypt. So you ever pass through that section in, in, in Exodus and you're reading all of that and God God wants to consecrate all the animals, the firstborn. Uh, he, and, and why did God kill all the firstborn in Egypt, including all the animals? Why did He do all those kind of things? Think it's right here in, in verse 15. He's the firstborn of every creature. So let me let me keep going. Uh, so number one is all firstborn first. All, the inclu- all firstborn, including firstborn animals, were sacred to God and were firstborn. They were, as firstborn, they were consecrated to Him as a sign of the remembrance of the great deliverance out of Egypt. So, so, then there's the firstborn, even the firstborn, uh, they had to, they, firstborn were either redeemed or they were killed. An animal in particular had its neck broke or was redeemed uh, through a sacrifice in that whole process. So anyway, number two, the second reason is regarding the tenth and the final plague of God. Remember the, all the plagues, there were ten plagues that God put on, e- on Egypt and let my people go. The last one was when Pharaoh, look over at Exodus chapter 10. Pharaoh made a, 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 a rebellious demand of Moses in Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10, starting in verse 28. Well, before this, I'm going to take the time to read it, but before that, Moses is saying, let my people go, and we will go with our with our, with our sacrifices and our burnt offerings and our cattle and so on and so forth. And Moses is telling him all of this. In verse 27, the Lord's hardened the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the people go. In verse 20, shall not Okay, I can't even read it. And for in that day thou seest my face, thou shalt die. So he's he's telling Moses, if you come back to my my throne, my my uh, my presence one more time, I will kill you and all your people. In verse twenty nine, Moses said, "Thou hast spoken well. I will see thy face again no more." And then right at that's the end of chapter ten, in verse chapter in verse one of chapter eleven. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. Speak now in the ears of the people, and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And drop down to verse 5. That's really where I want to get to. And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maid's servant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. So, so, so okay, so you're going to threaten my people, I'm going to take all your firstborn. That's, that's God's response to it. So, so regarding this tenth plague, the, sec- the second reason that I see that this is more deeper than just being a brother is that because regarding this tenth plague and the final plague, God replied to Pharaoh's rebellious threat. Um, and he told Moses, as we just read in verse 5, that he would take the life of every firstborn of, of man and, and animal. And so Moses probably remembered. This is an amazing thing. All the way back in chapter 4 of the book of Exodus, God said that, told, God told Moses that this was going to happen. It's an amazing thing. Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I will say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. So because Pharaoh refused to release God's firstborn, which is Israel, we just saw. God's firstborn is Israel in this in this situation, the way God described himself. In, in the situation. So, God says every firstborn would go be sacrificed, or I'm sorry, be sanctified to God as a reminder that salvation comes in the sacrifice and the sanctification of the firstborn of God. Our sanctification, our salvation came through Jesus Christ, who is the firstborn of God. So, the third reason, probably the most important reason, is because the death of all the firstborn in Egypt is a picture of of the salvation offered to everyone through the firstborn of God. That's why what he that's what that's what happened back. That's why Paul said back in Colossians chapter one verse fifteen that he says he's the firstborn among every creature. So he took all the firstborn. God took all the firstborn and allowed them to die uh, as a picture, as a remembrance, as a reminder. <coughs> That your salvation, because what happened right after those, all of those firstborn died? When, when Pharaoh woke up and his son was dead, when Egypt's waking up and all of their firstborn animals are dead and their firstborn children are dead, and he's like, what goes on? And Pharaoh said, you gotta go. You've gotta leave my country and go quickly. And so salvation, it's a picture of salvation. Salvation is through the firstborn of God, which is Christ. And so that's what Paul was talking about back in Colossians. Let me go back over there real quick. I never really thought about it until this week when I'm kind of worked this out. Why does he say creature? What what is he trying to say that's different? And all he's doing is he's reminding or he's teaching the church that the very story of Exodus. Because maybe they didn't know the story of Exodus. Maybe they didn't realize it because maybe a lot of them were for Gentile uh, believers in the church. I don't know. Or maybe they just were Jews and they just need to be reminded, this is your heritage. This is what happened. And so anyway, Jesus is that firstborn 
that Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 speaks of in referring to every creature, both man and beast, to remind us of the position of Jesus in God's plan. His position in God's plan for salvation and to remind us that the firstborn represents the position of Christ in our life. He is the firstborn. He, so he is the firstborn among many brethren, but he's also the firstborn of God um, in the plan of salvation. So God took the lives of the firstborn in Egypt to convince the world that God's plan for life is through his son, the firstborn, who secures all of our eternal life. So that's why I think in any way in that verse, it's interesting that he used the word. He says he's not the firstborn among every believer or every brethren. He says he's the firstborn among every firstborn uh, of every creature. Okay, so then he goes on into verse 6. I hope that makes sense to you. I hope you're tracking where I'm going. In verse 16, he's, he describes him a little bit further. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created by him and for him. So in this verse, Paul is asserting that Christ is the creator and the sustainer of all things. And this is one of the reasons that he is called the image of God as well. And the firstborn, because he makes God known to us by his creative power. We kind of, we kind of probably ought to consider this a proof text that God does exist, because creation could not exist without a creator. And I'll just mention to you, just for your own personal planning, if you're able to come on Wednesday night, starting on the 18th um, of May, I'm going to be teaching a, a, a series of stuff that I call apologetics. Uh, which is basically how do we how do we answer the question show me God how do we answer the question why God and and so on and so we're going to start with with some uh, some basic stuff about truth and belief systems and things and then we're going to talk about that Jesus that creation the evidence of creation is clearly seen that God created everything so Peter Paul leaves nothing off on all of this all things in heaven and on earth visible or invisible. Um, have been created by the power of God. So the word create, to create simply means to produce from nothing. Produce from nothing. To form something out of pre-existent matter. And so in verse 16, it clarifies the statement of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Everybody knows that one. In the beginning, God created. And so this is just a clarification on that statement as well as John chapter 1, verse 3. In John chapter 1 verse 3 says, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And so Paul is just re- is establishing in the church that all, all, of, all creation comes from God. Jesus Christ was involved in that. And then in verse 17, And He is before all things, and all things, and by Him all things consist. And so, so He created, He created it all, and he, then he, he holds it. He, Things consist. Things are. Things stay together because of because of Christ. Um, he's before all things, meaning he pre-existed all things. Not not that he was before all things, but that he is a pre-existing. He. Um, so verse seventeen says he is before all things. So no, that's a present. 
That, that means it's happening now, even right now. Not that he was present. He is present even now. He's present uh, before all things, and by him all things consist. Equally important in all of this is the continued existence of anything is only because Christ included out, including us. It, it continues because of Christ. Your your eternal life continues because of Christ. Your the word continues because of Christ. We've already read Hebrews chapter one verse three, but let me just read it again. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. He upholds. He can see. He consists. Everything stays together. You know, um, scientists will say everything is put together with atoms. You know, and, and the protons, new, neutrons, and all that kind of stuff. They can't stay together unless Christ keeps them together. And the only way that man could destroy them was create a bomb that would separate all that stuff. That power they're trying to really, in a way, trying to destroy the power that God has put in things to keep them together and they released it by by just by destroying an atom. You ever think about that? That nuclear bomb is is that God's used in the wrong way, of course, but that's God's power being unleashed from the things that are being consisted by His power. It's an amazing thing to think about. That's why nuclear bombs are so powerful because it's 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 an element. It's just a very, I mean, probably a, not even a, a thousandth of a drop of the, the power. Cons- everything is consistent by that power, held together by that power. And then when we drop a nuclear bomb, it just like all that power, for the wrong reasons, is used to, to destroy. No, 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 I was actually thinking about that right now. It's an amazing thing. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> Anyway, the word of his power means by his command. He upholds all things and he keeps all things in their rightful place by his command. And then verse 18, and we'll finish up here. Verse 18 uses this word, he says, and he is the head of the body, the church. We've already kind of visited that when we're looking at 2 Corinthians. Um, I may pick up there next week as well, but anyway... Uh, he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the word, and the word is preeminence. Now it's interesting, the word preeminent. It's actually, uh, has a, has a prefix, uh, of the word pre, P-R-E, which emphasizes to be earlier than, to be prior to, or beforehand. Pre means before, right? Um, and we use that word all the time, like, you use words with the word pre all the time. The base word, then, if the, pre, if the prefix is pre, the base word is eminence, which refers to that which is superior or of high rank or elevated. So eminence is actually, you probably know this, but an eminence is a title, as well in cert, as in certain religions or politics, referring to the leader as, as that title, your eminence. Right, we, that, so what are you saying? You're the... You're, you're the, you're the uh, the superior, high-ranking, elevated person. So Christ, though, is the eminence. Christ is the first. He is the head. He is the king. He is the high priest. He is eminent. He has it all. He is preeminent over everything. Nothing is higher than Christ. Nothing is lower than... Or everything is lower than Christ. Nothing is higher than Christ. He is above. He is before everything. He starts at the beginning. He is the first. He's the head. He's the king. He's the high priest. Okay, so let me just kind of... 
pack all this up in just a couple of statements here and then we'll be finished. So we've talked about six characteristics of the deity of Christ. So what we're looking at is how do I properly identify Jesus, right? So he's, we, we've discovered in just in these few verses so far, and we haven't gotten to all of them, but there's six characteristics of Christ that we see here. He is the image of the invisible God. That's the first, that's the first uh, characteristic. He is the firstborn over all creation. That's the second um, characteristic. He has created, he created all things. That's the third. He's a creator. So that's two of them in verse 15, then created is in verse 16. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. In verse 18 also has shown us that the, the fifth one is he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Uh, I didn't even point that out, but it, let me go back to that real quick. Verse 18 says, And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now there, that verse is how we reference, normally we think about Jesus being the firstborn. He's the firstborn from the dead, meaning that, you know, so he, he is first in us as we, as we resurrect, and we are from the dead as well. So he's, he's the firstborn. Uh, and then lastly, in verse 19, which we didn't get to yet, which we will deal with it next week. He is the fullness of God dwelling in Him. He is the fullness of God. And there's actually one more after that um, that we'll talk about next week. So that's kind of where we're going to end. Um, and uh, we'll get into We'll finish up chapter... Well, I don't know if we'll finish chapter 1 next week or not. We didn't get very far today. So let's pray and then we'll be done. Father in heaven, Lord, thank You for today. Thank You for this, this lesson, Lord. And thank You for... Uh, showing us uh, how we can see the deity of Christ and, and help to identify the right identity of Christ, who He is, what He represents, what He means to us, what He should mean. And we just praise You for that. Ask You to bless us the rest of the day. Pray for Brian as he preaches. Pray for all of those that are on our prayer list. Lord, we didn't, we didn't mention everybody, but the Lord has always a lot of names and we ask for You to move in their life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, Randy. You're welcome. Oh, hey, Katie. Good to see you. Um, all right, you guys.